welcome to Sage and Spirit, a podcast designed to nourish your mind, body, soul, and spirit. I'm your host, Anna Claire Lottie, and I'm so grateful you're here. In this holistic wellness podcast, I'll be having candid conversations with others, exploring topics such as healing with plants, food as medicine, earth connection, spirituality, conscious entrepreneurship, and so much more. Thank you for being here and sharing in this journey with me. Hey there, and welcome to episode 10 of Sage and Spirit. A couple of reminders to get started today. First and foremost, all of the information contained within this podcast is meant for educational and entertainment purposes only. None of the information is meant to treat, diagnose, prevent, or cure any illness or disease. And I always highly recommend that you speak with a trusted healthcare professional when making any changes to your daily lifestyle, protocols, or adding in new herbs or supplements. My second reminder today is to let you all know once again that my dear friend Leah Motlow of Golden Threads is going to be taking a journey to Peru this June, and she is currently running a fundraising campaign to raise money to help our Peruvian brothers and sisters and elders in their efforts to continue forward through this pandemic. I mentioned in a previous podcast episode that a lot of our Peruvian friends and contacts uh, are still dealing with some of the difficulties and fallout of the pandemic, namely having the resources to put food on their tables and also to pay any bills, uh, just different sorts of resources and materials that are continually needed, especially in the higher mountain communities. If you find yourself in a place of abundance and you're able to contribute and would like to donate, you can click on the link in the show notes, or you can visit Leah's website at www.golden-threads.com. Today, I'm talking with Maria Noel Groves, who is a registered herbalist with the American Herbalist Guild. And she is also the owner and founder of Wintergreen Botanicals nestled in the pine forests of New Hampshire. Her business is devoted to education and empowerment via classes, health consultations, and writing with the foundational belief that good health grows in nature. She's the author of the award-winning and best-selling Body into Balance, an herbal guide to holistic self-care, and also her newest release, Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies. We talk a little bit about both of these books in today's episode, and Maria also really delves deep into telling us a little bit about some of the herbs that she's talking about today and how to grow them, which is super exciting because where I am here in Appalachia, we are in the prime of our planting season right now. Spring is finally in full effect where I think think, hopefully, fingers crossed, past our last frost date. And so I know that I'm ready to get a lot of my culinary and medicinal herbs into the ground if I haven't already. And I hope that the information in today's episode helps to maybe spark some of that interest in you as well. Our topic today is brain-boosting herbs, and this is a topic that Maria knows in and out. She has taught many classes 
on a lot of these herbs. And we primarily focus on two different families, uh, not plant families, but I guess classes of herbs. And the first class that we discuss are mint family herbs. And so she talks about things like lemon balm and peppermint and rosemary even throws in a little little bit of holy basil and tulsi which is a crossover plant into the second class of herbs discussed and that is the class of ayurvedic herbs and so tulsi gets us started there she also talks a little bit about the brahmi brain tonics which are bacopa and gotukola and she tells us again a bit about each of these plants and how they can support mental processes, how they can help us to clear brain fog, how all of these um, affect our bodies when it comes to our brains and our mental faculties and why these herbs are so important, especially as we all age and get older in today's world, which is also so full of many distractions. So lots of great information in today's episode. I hope that you enjoy. Maria, hello, welcome. Hi, thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to chat with you and um, just hear a little bit about brain boosting herbs today. This seems like such an important topic and I know you have a lot to share with us. And I'd really like to just dive right in and start off with talking a little bit about your background and what drew you into herbalism to begin with. And now you have your own herb school too. So I'd love to hear a little bit about that background. Sure, I'd say that I've always been interested in plants. I grew up in a neighborhood where I was lucky enough to have trees around me and, and you know a yard to play in, but I didn't grow up with medicinal herbs per se. And so I, you know, I, I had a little bit of fascination. My mother also had a fascination. So she had the Reader's Digest. There was like a medicinal plants book that Reader's Digest had. And I remember as a kid, just looking over that, thinking it was so cool that plants had these various superpowers, but I didn't really do much about it. I just, we, we just kind of knew that these things existed, but we weren't really working with it. And then when I was in college getting my degree in journalism, I started thinking like, wow, I'd like to delve more into this topic. And in, when you're a journalism major, you're constantly writing papers and articles. And so I started writing about plants and that really drove me down that. Uh, also around the same time, I had a really stressful experience in college and uh, moderately traumatic, and I ended up with panic attacks and insomnia. And so that also drove me on a personal level to start to actually physically take herbs versus just you know thinking of them in this abstract, very like researchy kind of way. And so I went into my local herb shop and they set me up with kava and valerian, which are pretty classic, you know, anxiety and sleep herbs. And they were very helpful. And of course, I also did a lot of personal work because it's usually not ever only about taking herbs to deal with things, but that really hijacked my life in a, in a good way. And so I started really digging into the plant material and the information and started taking and trying plants. And I ended up getting a journalism job at Natural Health Magazine first in their fact-checking department as a fact-checker. 
and then and an intern. And then ultimately, I ended up taking on the role of the research editor running the fact checking department. And because I had the interest in herbal medicine in particular, they let me cover the herb beat. So most of their really herb forward articles I got to write, which was such a kind of cool and unique experience to be able to get free books on herbs, because this was right around 2000 to 2002, when there was this huge like glut of really awesome herb books getting published. And so I had free Free access to those. I got to interview herbalists from all over the country and just ask them what I wanted to know that I thought my the readers would want to know. And when I left the magazine, I decided that I really wanted to become an herbalist. I liked working for the magazine. I love researching and writing, but I missed having that that actual physical connection with other people, interacting with people in a one-on-one -on -one environment. And I also just felt really disconnected from kind of the world at large. I was living in the city. And so I went to herb school. I had already interviewed a lot of herbalists, so I kind of knew who I wanted to study with. So I did a beginner program with Nancy Phillips and um, she borrowed heavily from Rosemary Gladstar's program. And then I did a more you know intermediate advanced program with Michael Moore, which was fabulous. So he had ended up being a really major influencer of my, my work and my understanding of herbs and then went and did Rosemary Gladstar's advanced program. So it was kind of like boom, 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 like each year I did a, a new program. And then it took a little while of just sort of coalescing all that information and ultimately launched my practice in 2007. And I'd already been doing some teaching from the time that I graduated from Southwest School of Botanical Medicine around um, 2004, 2005, but that's when I, 2007 is when my business went full-time basically. And so it's still very, it's a threefold education-based business where I see clients and do holistic health consultations, focusing primarily on herbs. And I also teach and do a lot of classes and that's really developed. That's probably one of the biggest things that, that has taken my focus throughout all this time. And especially in the pandemic, I'd say that that's taken a lot of my focus because there's been such a big demand for herbal classes and I'm doing my best to meet that demand. And then last but not least, I still do a lot of writing. So as you already know, I have two books now, Body Into Balance, which has been getting really great um, usage throughout the herbal community as a you know core textbook and a bunch of different herb schools. And it's based off my introductory herbal programs. And then more recently, I did Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies, which is exactly what you, you think it might be. That's more about growing really you know easy to grow herbs and how to make medicine and remedies with them and understand how to use them so that you're not just growing any old plants because somebody said it was a medicinal plant, but you're picking the ones that are most appropriate for your own personal or family health goals, as well as the ecosystem that you have to work with. So that's the, the shorter version of my background. Well, thank you so much for sharing that. I had no idea, actually, that you had a background in journalism, but of course, it makes perfect sense with your beautiful books. And I, what, what year did Body Into Balance come out? Do you remember? Body into Balance came out in 2016. I have that date. Like I, I base <laughs> how long ago things were based off of that date. It's <laughs> definitely ingrained in my brain. So that came out in 2016 and Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies came out in 2019. But it took a while. I, I mean, it was about a year and a half of me sending in the proposal and conversing with the editors at Story to before they even decided to accept the book. And then uh, and we're, we're all glad that they did because it's yes. done quite nicely. And then um, and then also 
it took about two years after they accepted it before it was published. So it was a long process. And at that time, you know, it had been a while since that big glut of herbal books had come out. There hadn't been a whole lot. And they were definitely, Rosemary had done her beginner guide and it was doing really, really well. And they're like, we need more herb books. Like the community wants more herb books yes. and you already know how to write. So that's a great start. And they were nervous about doing this kind of bigger, more textbook-ish kind of book that story tends to like things that are a little bit lighter. And they also do really great visual books, which, which is one of the reasons I sought them out as a publisher. And so they were hesitant to do something that was a little bit more meaty. And ultimately, they decided to go for it. And I'm, I'm really grateful. And I think, well, I think they're pretty happy with it as well. Yeah, I have to say, I'm really grateful too. I was asking about the timing because I remember the book came out sort of after I had just completed my first two herbal programs. And I, as soon as your book came out, I think I pre-ordered it and got it in the mail and it, it's so beautiful. I love your, uh, I love body into balance so much. And I really appreciate the practicality in, in which you, you know, it's kind of like this voice of practicality that you write it, but there's also some kind of humorous notes. There's really beautiful visuals, as you mentioned. So I'm really glad that story, um, you know, extended that offer and, and kind of took a chance on, on their part. Um, but I'm really glad it was, it's worked out well and it's not surprising. It's a really beautiful book. And I think I even told my herb teacher, Corey Pine, I was like, this needs to be part of like, this is one of the books that you need to have required for incoming students because it really is all-encompassing in a lot of ways. It's a really great beginner book, but even for people who have been studying herbs for a while, I, I find that there's a lot more information that can be gleaned from your book. So, um, And I just now um, got the Grow Your Own Herbal Remedies, so I'm starting to delve into that and really excited. It's the perfect time of year, uh, spring here in Appalachia, and so a great time to you know get everything in the ground. And I love what you mentioned, too, about it's not just about growing something because you know it's medicinal, but what does your family need? What is it that you need? You know, what's great to have in your yard? And so um, I'm really excited to kind of dig into that a little bit more and to talk a little bit more about that today as well. So also just your background in journalism, how fun that you were sort of getting interested in this topic and then you got to do all these interviews and kind of pinpoint where you wanted to go from there. Um, I just love that story. It just paints such a rich picture of, of your, your process and, and you know your journey to getting where you are now. So thanks for sharing that. I know, um, so our topic today is brain boosting herbs. And I'd love if you can maybe give us just a little overview of why people might be interested in brain boosting herbs or, you know, what's the importance of that in our culture and where we are right now. Yeah, um, I love the topic of brain boosting herbs because I feel like it's really accessible. And, you know, some people are looking into the topic because they're concerned about a family history of Alzheimer's or dementia, and they just want to do whatever they possibly can to help support their body. And while nothing is ever a guarantee, there certainly are a lot of indications that herbs and diet and lifestyle can be really impactful in that. Or maybe they're starting to see like the inklings of something that they're concerned about there and that they're looking for support. Or, you know, maybe they have ADHD or they have a child with ADHD and they're looking to support in the best way possible. You know, I, I don't personally consider ADHD to be a disease. I think of it as being more neurodivergent, but, you know, there's still ways that we can support folks who have ADHD so that they can just 
function a little bit more easily and comfortably in the world that we have and, and just feel better um, as better as well as they possibly can. And a lot of these herbs are supportive for that. But then, you know, there are a lot of folks. Oh, and also we have things like brain trauma, which again can be really pretty complicated, like Alzheimer's and dementia, and it may or may not respond to herbs, but there are a lot of ways that herbs may lend a hand, especially in long-term support for the healing of that. And, you know, so there are a lot of really kind of more serious things that these brain boosting herbs may be supportive in. And then also just day to day, you know, almost all of us could use a little extra pick me up or, you know, maybe you're an an older person who's going back to school or you're not used to a you know zoom based learning environment and you just need a little something to help with your focus or you're just you know you're feeling tired and brain foggy because you're going through perimenopause or you know there's so many different reasons why people might just feel like they need a little extra support and the herbs that we're going to talk about today are amazingly adaptable to all of those scenarios. And while they're not absolute miracles, they, they are pretty impressive and they also grow really easily in the garden, at least the ones that we're going to be talking about today. And so I have a personal relationship. I actually have three of them behind me on the counter. I have rosemary, bacopa and um, holy, no, rosemary, bacopa and go to cola hanging out behind me over wintering and waiting it for it to warm up enough to go back outside in the in the growing season. So these are plants you can definitely connect with, which I really love. Oh, I love that. I love that they're just kind of surrounding you as we have this chat today. So that's, um, that's really nice. And, you know, you bring up such a good point too, with all of these different instances, you know, it's, it's not just for people who are already in these stages of, you know, dementia or Alzheimer's. I know that in my own personal family history, I've seen a number of my elders go through these transitions and processes, and it can be really challenging to, to see family members go through these things. And also, like you said, um, you know, just wondering what that means for our future as we continue to go forward and age and, and go through those processes, um, but also just studying and focusing and all the different distractions that are in daily life that can pull us in many different directions. And so, you know, it's such a good point that sometimes we really do just want to hone in or we have a project to focus on. And so bringing in these plants to support that feels really, um, really good. It feels like a really empowering thing. And I, I love your mention of accessibility. And I know that as we start to talk about these plants a little bit more, you'll tell us different ways that they can be grown. And I know some of them um, we'll get into, but they can even be grown in, in pots and in smaller spaces. So I'm looking forward to hearing a little bit more about that. And I'd love to start with just hearing some of your favorite plants in this regard. Yeah, so I'm going to break the, the plants up into two basic categories. So we have the mint family plants that are very aromatic and have a lot of really fascinating um, ways in which they affect our attention and our alertness and our brain function. And those are usually pretty pretty impressive. And, you know, we immediately get a response to them from the aroma, whether we're just inhaling them or we're ingesting them. And a lot of them are things that most of us already know and grow in our yards or can go buy at the grocery store or the local farm stand. And then the other group are plants that come from two plants that come from Ayurveda that are pretty easy to cultivate once you understand their basic needs. And they have more of that 
long-term, really like in the trenches, supporting brain health, brain function, protecting the brain. And they're, you know, they're more subtle. It's not like, oh, I took it. And then 20 minutes later, I feel this immediate burst, but they are really impressive nonetheless. So we can start in on the mint family plants, I think, because those are the ones that most people already are familiar with, and they probably already have them. And they are also pretty fast acting. A lot of the research shows benefits within like like one hour or one day with benefits extending, you know, if you take it on a regular basis over a month or two months or three months, usually those re responses improve over time. But I love that they have that immediate pick me up. So that makes them again, pretty accessible for folks. And a lot of times right. I'll combine the two groups together and I might just use all of them, but I might also pick and choose what seems to be most appropriate for the person and their, you know, given needs. So um, shall I dive in with like one of the first ones? Or actually, let me give a little background first yeah. on why mint family plants in the first place. And one, there are a lot of different reasons why these mint family, very aromatic plants might be helpful for our brain function and our memory and our cognition. And one of them is just the fact that they're aromatic and the aromatherapy of them, whether we're inhaling them or ingesting them in a way that we're inhaling them at the same time. Um, so if you're having it as a tea or you're having it in your food or something like that, you're going to be inhaling it, even though you're also ingesting it. And that seems to be like one of the best ways to use them. And aroma, we know, affects our mood and our brain and our nervous system in so many great ways and tends to have that pretty immediate effect. So there's certainly that immediate effect on the limbic system, on the nervous system, on the brain. There's also this... Um, a bit of research around acetylcholine and acetylcholine esterase and acetylcholine esterase inhibition. And so basically to back it up a little bit, there's this very important neurotransmitter throughout the body and particularly in the brain called acetylcholine. And it affects a lot of things that allows us to like move our muscles, that affects how we think, it affects how we feel. And we do know that especially in Alzheimer's and dementia, that folks tend to have lower levels of acetylcholine. And one of the reasons for that is that there's an enzyme in the body that breaks it down. And that's normal with neurotransmitters that the body makes them and the body makes, breaks them down and makes them and break them, breaks them down. One of the ways that we can impact the levels of neurotransmitters in our body is to inhibit that breakdown a little bit. And in the case of acetylcholinesterase, the enzyme that breaks down acetylcholine, these mint family plants seem to have an inhibiting effect on that enzyme. And as a net result, it does seem like the acetylcholine levels get just a little bit higher. It's not like they're giving you acetylcholine. It's just like giving a little nudge to that, which is really pretty cool. And, you know, they're also generally really anti-inflammatory, uh, which is great for brain function because we know that inflammation is associated with, you know, more cognitive issues, especially those associated with aging. They also tend to be very circulation supportive, which is great because we can get nutrition into the brain and then, you know, also get waste out of the brain more efficiently. And, you know, just, just all these various different ways. Many of them also have blood sugar modulating benefits that we don't tend to really think of them in that way, but that may be yet another way in which they're working because we know that having higher blood sugar levels and having insulin resistance and diabetes, that those kind of metabolic processes when they happen in the brain are look an awful lot like 
Alzheimer's and dementia. And so, especially with the cognitive issues associated with aging, that that may be another important place, you know, of course, with diet and lifestyle, controlling blood sugar and keeping things more stable, but also that may be another way in which these herbs are working. And it's cool because they have had a long history of use for cognition, like sage, which I don't use as much because of some of the potential side effects of it, but sage, you know, we know of like the wise sage and sage mm -hmm. certainly is a plant that has tested quite well as an essential oil, as well as as an herb in a lot of our cognition studies and rosemary for remembrance. Rosemary is another one of our classic memory herbs and rosemary for remembrance comes from Shakespeare. But this was not something that Shakespeare made up. This was a concept that was long held even in antiquity when folks would braid rosemary into their hair when they were studying for exams or they would put it in their bouquets or in their corsages during weddings to remember the, the beauty of that day and how much they loved you know, their partner or they would plant, you know, still to this day, some cultures will plant rosemary in cemeteries to help remember fallen soldiers and the, the past you know, loved ones who have passed. So there's this really long history of use, especially around sage and rosemary and remembering. And then we have this really neat modern research on humans and clinical trials that are randomized, double-blind, placebo-controlled and all that good stuff that is supporting these very ancient long-held beliefs about all the herbs that we're talking about today but especially things like sage and rosemary. And then also when we get into go-to cola and bacopa, they also have a long history that is now being confirmed by some of this modern research. So that's just kind of, oh, go ahead. I can tell you're about to say something. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to jump in and say, um, you know, I really love that there's all this history and tradition and so much herbal medicine that people learn and talk about and that sometimes it takes a little while for science to like catch up and put these studies out and that might have to do with funding or you know a number of different reasons i'm sure um but it's always just so i don't know there's like this feeling of excitement when it's like and the science definitely backs it up too because it's this innate knowing that you know a lot of people have or that they just feel a pull towards the plants or they feel a pull towards a, you know a particular plant and they may not really know why but then when you have that that knowing or that pull and then it's backed up with you know cold hard science it's really nice to see those kind of play so well together and so um you know it's funny you were talking about rosemary and i got married actually a little uh maybe like a year before i started my herbal studies um but even then i knew that rosemary had that that connotation and that history of holding remembrance and and what you were talking about and so i actually had that in my wedding bouquet it was like don't forget to put rosemary in there because my mom was making my bouquets but um but yeah it was you know i wanted to incorporate that even before i knew that much more about it um, because of exactly what you're saying so i just love how that plays out sometimes yeah, and I do think that, you know, I love to research and I love to look at the science, but I do believe that the traditional uses matter more than anything else, because there's a reason why we've been doing these things for centuries and even millennia. But I do enjoy when we have science that confirms it. And right. it's just really fun. And, and I think for some reason it makes it even more like, oh, I got to pay attention. Science has shown like we actually have a cold hard fact of like this is the percent of improvement and, you know, that this is the, the situations in which it's helpful, which is is really, really neat, neat and fun. 
Exactly. So. And I think for some people, it, it it helps because some people, you know, are a little bit more scientifically driven. So if they know the science is there to back it up, it might help to spur them, you know, get them more interested or give them sort of more reason to try something new that maybe they wouldn't have otherwise. Mm -hmm. Yes, definitely. So, you know, let's start off with rosemary. Mm -hmm. And, you know, this is just one that's really fun to incorporate. It's great to just, you know, brush by it and inhale it. You know, with all these plants, the there's almost equal amount, sometimes even more research on inhaling it compared to ingesting it. And with rosemary, there was one interesting study where they had folks take capsules with nose clips. And that was, so basically you can't smell it in that situation, or you almost can't smell it. And that was one of the few studies that didn't show a benefit. So to me, that was less of like, ooh, the rosemary didn't work as much as, yeah, you need to be able to like really interact with its aroma. Um, and so we have a variety of studies and the doses don't need to be very high. So just a sprig or two or a little bit of in tincture. I really personally like the fresh plant better than the dry, although some of the studies have been done with dry and still showed benefit, but I just feel like it's so much more dynamic of a plant and, and more enjoyable tasting and smelling when it's fresh versus even if you have that same little sprig and a few days later it's dry. So one study, they had 750 milligrams of rosemary powder and they mixed it in with tomato juice. It was just McCormick. They may have funded the study. They may not have, I don't know, but it was just plain old McCormick rosemary powder added to tomato juice. And they found in that study that the, the just the low dose improved cognitive performance and memory speed which is great. And the vibe of each mint family plant can be a little bit different as far as whether it's more calming or whether it's more perky. And rosemary is definitely that perky, alert, you know, clear, um, cool, collected, clearing out those cobwebs. It's just that kind of a vibe of a plant. It's one of the more potent anti-inflammatory herbs that we're going to be talking about. So when there are inflammatory processes going on or when we just need to like move the blood and get things going, rosemary is a great herb for that. Um, so that's just like one study, but there are several studies that are out there on rosemary and it does, I, I, it helps probably all ages, but I think of this one being a little bit more appropriate for folks who are dealing with, you know, or wanting cognitive support as we age. It just seems to be a little bit more specialized for that, but certainly younger folks and healthy folks can enjoy the benefits of rosemary as well. So I do make fresh plant tinctures with this plant, and I just might add anywhere from like one to 5% of it into a formula for that synergistic action, since it's, it's not one that you need a really high dose of, but when we get to other herbs, like lemon balm can be a high dose. And when we get to go to cola and bacopa, they're much better at a higher dose. So rosemary is great to just sort of throw in there to help things work better. And there is even a study where they combined bacopa with rosemary and it was just a lab study. So it wasn't in humans, but they had, you know, one dose of bacopa versus one dose of rosemary versus a half dose of each combined together. And in that study, the two of them together, even though each one was only half the dose was more effective than either ingredient separately, which sort of helps confirm our concepts in herbal medicine of synergy. So rosemary is an excellent synergist. Another way I love to use it is just to take a couple fresh sprigs and combine them with a little bit of a lemon wedge and put them in hot water and make a tea with it. If it's hot out, you could potentially do a cold infusion as well, since those aromatics do come out pretty nicely, even in cold water. And that can be a really nice way to just sort of 
help with digestion, but also help with focus and energy. And it tastes really good, even without any sweetener or anything like that in it. So that's some of my favorite ways to work with rosemary. And if you're going to grow it, it is very adaptable for pots. Um, I am in a warm zone four. I'm in like a very cold pocket of New Hampshire. Most of New Hampshire is zone five or six. And even if you go like a mile in any direction, you're in a zone five, but I am in this weird cold spot. And so, you know, in, in New Hampshire in general, rosemary is not going to survive the winters. It likes to be in the Mediterranean. So it wants to be in those hotter climates. Might do okay in a, in a humid environment, but it really kind of likes hot and dry. And so I like often planting it into in a terracotta pot, which I have one right behind me. And the terracotta helps keep things a little bit drier. And then once I put it outside, I'll put it in one of the warmer, sunnier, drier spots of the yard. And I still put a little drip irrigation on my pots, but it's like at the tail end of the drip irrigation, hanging out in the sun, surrounded by stone walls and uh, brickwork so that it really, you know, it really is on the, the drier side of things. And then, you know, other plants that need it a little bit more damp and moist there in the part shade with, you know, at the very beginning of the drip irrigation where the hose itself is dripping a little bit. And so it can be a little bit more of a damp, damp, cool environment for them. But, uh, but the rosemary likes things on the dry side. And if you are in a slightly warmer climate, and I don't recall offhand, I think it's actually in my book, um, which in Grow Your Herbal Remedies, I have the little profiles on each plant. But you know, once you get to a certain zone that's a little bit warmer, the rosemary will grow year round, which I'm incredibly jealous of. And so um, it looks like yeah, zones eight through 11, it should be able to survive throughout the, the winters. And so there, like in places like Italy and I think Oregon was another area. I don't know if Asheville is warm enough to be considered that are you on the edge of it there? Yeah, you know, um, we're in zone six here. I'm in zone six where I am. And um, I actually just had this conversation with one of our local medicinal herb growers. Um, we had a big herb festival a couple weekends ago and I bought two new rosemary plants and I asked her, how do you make these last through winter here? I have had such it just hasn't worked out for me so far in like the seven years I've been here. And I see some places around town, but being in the mountains too, there's so many different pockets and microclimates. Um, but I think it just gets too cold and damp here in the wintertime. It's like that combination of cold and wet that it just does not seem to like. So I got two different varieties this year that I'm hoping will be at least a little more hardy. They're supposed to be. So we'll see. Fingers crossed. But I'm loving what you're saying. It's already given me so many ideas because I still have them in their, um, you know, their little cells right now. I haven't put them in the ground yet. So I'm thinking maybe I'll actually put them in some terracotta and just take them outside for the summertime and bring them back in because then I don't have to deal with another rosemary plant dying. It's like so sad every year when I'm like, you're almost there. And then it's like inevitably in February where it just is like, no, I can't do it anymore. So I, you know, I used to live in Charleston, South Carolina, and they have some beautiful, I don't know what zone that is, but they have some beautiful, like giant rosemary plants. And I'm always so jealous when I see those. And they're covered in flowers. Yes. And you're like, mine is a flower. <laughs> um, yeah. I, I will say that here in my cooler area, I find that even compared to in the summertime, if I 
keep it in a pot versus putting it in the ground, it does better just because that pot gets a little bit warmer than the soil and the ground does. You know, so, so many other plants do better in the ground than they do in a pot. But in the case of rosemary, especially if you're on the edge of where it really wants to be, and then you also can more easily bring it inside in the winter. And it's important to make sure that it doesn't dry out completely, but overwatering, as you know, I think a lot of people have heard is, is a bigger death of rosemary than underwatering. Mm -hmm. And it would typically, you know, if we remember where it traditionally would be growing, where it's indigenous to, you know, those Mediterranean slopes, it likes to grow in these rocky, dry areas, but right on the edge of the ocean where they get the mist of the sea. And um, rosmarinus does mean like dew of the sea. And that would be how it got most of its water was just you know, in this dry environment, but with misting. So I have some colleagues who mostly water their rosemary throughout the winter by just kind of misting it periodically and then giving it a drink of water every now and then. I use the the like plant nanny style terracotta stakes with water bottles, uh, wine bottles filled with water. And that usually keeps it going pretty well and it keeps it from getting too wet, but also from getting too dry, which is great because I'm really good at killing indoor plants. I'm not, <laughs> I, I, I am, <laughs> in fact, I just had to give the, you know, the goju cola because goju cola is very, very thirsty plant and it needs a lot of water. And so periodically I look over and like, oh shoot, it's wilted. It didn't get enough water. They'll be so much happier once they're outside on time drip irrigation versus oh, inside same. at my mercy. <laughs> but those, those little like plant stakes with water um, for me, for my indoor plants definitely helps hold them a little bit through my neglect. Oh, that's such a great idea. I'm I'm taking so many notes on this because I'm determined. My husband's always like, well, you're the plant lady. And I'm like, yeah, but when they're outside, it's a totally different, you know, atmosphere and environment when you bring plants inside. And and then, you know, they're just, I don't know, it's a it's a different sort of caretaking for sure. Yeah, totally. And things are more prone to get buggy and all that when they come inside as well. And I'm very laissez-faire. So if things get buggy, I just like kick them outside. I compost them or I cut them all back and see if they're, you know, I'm not one of those people who's sitting there tending to my plants on a regular basis. I just, I'm too busy. <laughs> time for that. Um, but I appreciate plants that can take care of themselves for right. the most part. <laughs> exactly. So yeah. So that's rosemary. Was there anything else we want to say about rosemary? I don't think so. I love what you mentioned about rosemary and the fact that it is really invigorating. Um, I've noticed, you know, there's sometimes is a, a point in the middle to middle afternoon of my day where I think a lot of people have this sort of post lunch slump that happens. And it might be when a lot of people tend to maybe reach for that second cup of coffee or that third or fourth, you know, who knows. Um, but I've noticed that when I have the forethought to actually have a cup of rosemary tea, or there's a blend that I make that has sage and rosemary, go to cola, um, a couple of other, maybe some peppermint in there. Um, but when I have that in the middle of the afternoon, it really does help me to just kind of revive, recharge, give me a little bit more energy to get through the rest of my sort of working day. Uh, so I really appreciate that about it. And I know it's interesting because when I first learned of rosemary, I, I learned of it being both invigorating and relaxing, which seem like these sort of um, opposites, you know, but I, once you actually feel the plant in your body, I think you can recognize those aspects working together. Yeah, definitely. And I also often think of those afternoon slumps as maybe being a sign of blood sugar, you know, post meal, you know, having that little bit of a reactive blood sugar crash. And that's not always the case, but that can be. And rosemary after lunch would also be good at helping your body have healthier blood sugar in addition to having those perky, you know, perky pick me up benefits too. So it's just a, a nice herb to consider. That sounds like a really yummy tea too. 
Yeah, I love that. Yeah, let's, who do you have for us next? So next is another mint family plant, but really pretty different in its vibe compared to rosemary, and that's lemon balm. It mm -hmm. also comes from the Mediterranean, but what it likes for an ecosystem is pretty different. I find that it really likes to have relatively rich soil, and it likes, you know, sun but you know a little bit of shade it doesn't like to be too hot and dry and sandy it likes it to be a little bit more on that health you know would love to be growing in a veggie bed and uh being at this in like a plush garden and even better if that veggie bed is just a little bit shaded you know maybe it's getting just a little bit of light like i have some that's growing near a fence and so it gets sun on it but the sun is getting broken up a little bit by the fence and that rosemary is just growing like crazy it is so Oh, sorry, that lemon balm is growing like crazy. It's just so happy. Catch me if I do a verbal typo and let me know. Um, but yeah, so lemon balm is a great one. And then energy wise, it is more calming. So as the rosemary is that like clearing out the cobwebs, moving, shaking, perky, alert, rosemary is like that calm, cool, collected, um, just a really nice space. It's really nice when we have things like hyperactivity, agitation, anxiety, irritation, stress. Um, it just calms things down. I'm sorry, you're back to lemon balm now, right? I am. Did I say the wrong I think word? you said rosemary. <laughs> oh, geez. Yes, yes. I'm talking about lemon balm. Thank you. Um, so yes, lemon balm, very calming, really nice for, for easing anger, frustration, agitation, um, irritation, hyperactivity, you know, mm. all those kinds mm -hmm. of things. And there is, you know, this one's, I think, even more broadly useful than rosemary, because there have been some really nice studies on children with just children in general, as well as children with ADHD. And they found so one of them, they did a combo of valerian and, and lemon balm, and they found that kids had much better focus, they went from just 15% being able to focus to 70, or sorry, they're a poor ability to focus went from 75% to 14%. So a pretty big drop there. And their hyperactivity went from 61% to 13%. So again, another really big, big shift with those herbs and that their impulsiveness also dropped pretty dramatically as well. So that's great for kids. But then there are also really nice studies on even elders with severe dementia and using lemon balm in a cream and applying it topically. And in that case, it just helped those folks be less socially withdrawn, less agitated, a little bit more engaged with others, and just be in a slightly better place than they other than the groups that did not get the lemon balm and the cream. Other folks got massaged with cream, but there was no lemon balm in it. It is really challenging to do placebos with aromatic things. <laughs> right. But yeah. So I'm wondering with that topical application, um, do you think that it's just the aroma that's having the effect or is it also like the absorption into the skin? I don't know for sure, but I'm going to guess that it was probably both of those things. Mm -hmm. And there have been other studies where people were ingesting lemon balm of varying age groups and health levels and found that they had benefits immediately as well as long-term in a variety of cognitive states. So um, one of them that gets often reported, they had just within one hour, they found that folks had better cognition and had less anxiety. And in that one, they were just using dry lemon balm in a capsule, which is one of the like least effective ways to 
use lemon balm. Mm -hmm. And so for that one, the highest dose was the most useful, but there have been a couple other studies where they've used lemon balm extract in functional foods. And in some of those studies, they found that the higher doses made people kind of sleepy and the lower doses were more effective. But the nice thing about lemon balm is that it has its, you know, you have some benefit right away. So you can play around and figure out what your sweet spot of a dose is. And I most often like to use it fresh because it is more, it's a more potent plant when it's fresh. So I'll do like a fresh uh, tincture, fresh alcohol extract. You could also certainly play around with vinegars and oxymels and other styles of remedies. Glycerin extracts of lemon balm are also delightful. And uh, although they, if it's fresh glycerin, uh, fresh extract and glycerin, they can go a little funky if you're not careful, but, uh, but that can be a really great way to use it. And you probably are fine with a more moderate dose of that because the fresh is going to be more potent. And then if you're going to make a tea with the dry herb, then maybe you use a little bit more, but you can play around, you know, give yourself a weekend to figure out what your dose is. And lemon balm goes so nicely with so many other herbs that you can use it as a single and that works really nicely, but then you can also combine it so well with so many other herbs and it just does a nice job creating that supportive, that supportive quality for them. And it's so tasty. I can it see, is. you know, yeah. Blending with so many other things, you know, it just really pairs well. And it's really easy to grow in a lot of different ecosystems. So even though it likes that kind of plush garden bed, but it will grow in drier areas. It will grow in sunnier spots. It will grow in shadier spots. If it gets really, really cold and it doesn't have protection from say snow or mulch, it might die off, but then usually it self seeds and other places. I believe it's one of those ones that needs to be frozen for the seeds to germinate. So you might find that your main lemon balm dies, but then you have lemon balm all over your garden and other places. <laughs> so uh, it's one that sometimes people find gets a little bit too enthusiastic in their gardens, but it makes such great medicine that I, I generally don't mind. And when I have an abundance, I, I just give it away to other people yeah, and yeah. Uh, enjoy it. And I, I will say too, that a fresh plant tincture first, a lot of different uses for lemon balm. Lemon balm is a really multifaceted plant and a fresh plant tincture is one of my favorite ways to work with it. And I repeatedly hear from my clients for also, whether they're using it for cold sores or they're using it for digestion or they're using it for sleep, that the tincture that I made for them worked so much better than anything that they bought, even from really good, you know, the big brands commercially that you find in the stores. And I think it's just because of the freshness and the potency. So I'm not doing anything special. I'm just doing, making my tinctures the same way that Michael Moore taught me how, which is to chop up the fresh plant material and shove as much as you can humanly fit into the jar and then cover it to the top with the highest proof alcohol that you have on hand. So that ends up becoming like a one to two. And I'm usually using 190 proof alcohol for that. And that makes a great extract. It does seem to lose its potency after maybe three years or so. So I think it's best to use it within the first few years. And you'll kind of tell from the lemony flavor of it will be a good indicator of its potency. And I suspect that maybe it's, you know, how much plant material, maybe it's the higher proof alcohol, but I think a biggie is just how freshly it's made. And so you can easily make your own tinctures at home. And it's one of the cases where I think the, that your own homegrown homemade tinctures will be much better than anything that you can buy in the stores. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you mentioned that because I've had 
Um, you know, I've done some different experiments with lemon balm in this way as far as tincturing, and I know a teacher of mine who really prefers to tincture it freshly dried. So they'll get the fresh plant material, they'll dry it down for a few days, and then tincture it immediately. And then I, I had kind of been through this process and I was like, well, this is really interesting. And then I wanted to tincture some fresh and sort of, you know, compare the two. And so I, I do tincture mine fresh as well. And I just find that the, the aromatics are different. It seems to me that in the freshly dried tincture that I've had, that it tends to have a little bit more of the bitter properties. And this is just my own experience. I don't know whether the science is like, says the same thing or not, but it feels like it has a little bit more like bitterness and, um, maybe even a slight astringency or like a, it just has a very different flavor than when I tincture it fresh and it has this very robust, vibrant sort of feel to it. Um, so that's what I've stuck with. I go with the fresh as well. Yeah. I did a similar experiment earlier um, last fall with lemon balm when I was trying to figure out how best I wanted to make a glycerin extract. And I didn't decide what my favorite was, but I did dried. I did a, the freshly dried versus fresh. And I also did a, uh, with the dried, I did either the, can't remember all the details, but I also tried doing a basic maceration versus the simmered still glycerite. And it was, each one of them was so different and they all had their perks, but certainly like that lemony flavor came out the most from doing the fresh lemon balm, even compared to one that it like amazing quality, just dried, you know, and just basically stripped off the stem and made the glycerin. The downside with something like glycerin or maybe even an oxymel is that the fresh plant is so juicy that in a non-alcohol environment, it's more likely to go bad. And so that's where I think there can be a challenge with something like a glycerin extract. You end up with so much water in it from the juice of the plant. So you could play around with maybe wilting it a little bit first, but still using it in a more fresh state. I haven't done that one yet, but, or you could make them bulk ways and then combine them and maybe they work themselves out. I, I ended up putting the fresh plant glycerite in the refrigerator just because it's again, where my ecosystem is, it's a very mold prone environment. There's not a lot of airflow. And I find things going bad that other herbalists are like, oh, herbal honeys last forever. Oh, herbal glycerins, those are great at that percent. And I might pull them out after, you know, six months or so. And I can see mold on that. Like that's, that's not okay. So. Um, yeah, that's so. really good to know. And I, I think I'm in sort of the same environment. I mean, we're technically in a rainforest here, so <laughs> there's that same tendency towards mold and, and all of that, you know, the microbial growth. So, um, but lemon balm is such a fun one to experiment with. So I appreciate all of those aspects. Yeah. And so, you know, there are so many other great mints you can work with. And so, you know, lemon balm and rosemary are my two biggies when it comes to brain boosting, but there is quite a bit of research on sage. I, sage does not draw me in quite as much. Uh, you probably love it because you named your business after it. Um, <laughs> but I it just kind of, it's, it's such a dynamic plan. It's so drying. There's a little bit of controversy over the thujone content. And so just for whatever reason, and it's also a bit more phytoestrogenic. So it just hasn't been one that that I have personally used that much, but there is quite a bit of research on it, inhaling it as well as ingesting it. And then spearmint, there's been some research more in from companies that are making a spearmint extract, but that tends to be a little bit more of like that moderate energy kind of like lemon balm is. And then peppermint, peppermint's one that I do use quite a bit because it's another great synergist. It's lovely in tea blends. If you tincture it, it's so strong. Like you just need 
a drop or mm -hmm. you know one percent of a formula i you know whereas tea you can use quite a bit more but if you're tincturing it you just need a little bit and all the research on peppermint is either inhaling it or having it as chewing gum interestingly enough <laughs> and they do find that that's another very perky alert boosts mood and it's definitely one that i rely on if i'm traveling and i'm driving and i'm getting kind of tired um mm -hmm. if i can't pull over to take a nap, I will have like peppermint, natural peppermint candies, or I might use a little bit of essential oil misted in the car just to kind of keep me a little bit more alert. And it's a great one to throw into your formulas. And most people have that pretty readily available. So, you know, so those are some of our mint family plants. And those are the mints are pretty easy to grow. Um, sometimes they get even a bit invasive. So mm -hmm. you if you want to grow something like peppermint or spearmint in a pot, I would just recommend making sure you have pretty nice, rich soil, that it's staying relatively moist. And it, it likes the same kind of environment that I talked about for lemon balm. That's where it would thrive. But with a pot, it kind of helps control its growth a little bit, but make sure that the pot is on the bigger side. And then also, you know, maybe at least a foot, but like even a couple feet wide would be better. And you also want to make sure that it's not getting too dried out so that it's getting a chance to get that regular moisture, maybe give it a little bit of fertilizer every now and then. And, you know, one of the tricks with pots is if they stay out through the winter, they might break or they might, um, the fruit roots have a greater chance of freezing. So just know that your mint may or may not survive the winter, but often you can just pop a new seedling in in the springtime and you know throughout the season it fills out the pot pretty well and i also for this in contrast to using something like terracotta for rosemary that keeps it on the drier side for something like mint or lemon balm i would be using more of a plastic pot or i might use a glazed terracotta pot something that holds the moisture in and doesn't dry out quite so easily and that can be really helpful you know even you know whiskey whiskey barrels are nice because they're so big so that might be you know offset that but whiskey barrels don't hold the moisture quite as nicely as something that is glazed or plastic Mm, that's a great tip. Um, I wouldn't have thought about that. And I let my mint go crazy, but I've definitely heard from other people before they, they you know, get really excited about planting mint. And then they're like, oh my gosh, my whole, my whole yard is mint now. I just wanted a couple mojitos or I just wanted to make some tea. And all of a sudden everything is mint. Um, so, you know, if people have that concern or they don't want it to all of a sudden become their entire yard, then keeping it in a particular place pot seems like a, a really good way yes. to, to have a little bit more say as to how much mint you end up with. <laughs> yeah, I definitely have a patch of curly spearmint that I deeply regret going, I don't care. I love spearmint. And it's just like infiltrating. And it's, we have, I, I've garden work study students too. And like together we have like mulched it, we pulled it out we, and it just comes back. It's just a really rigorous, whereas peppermint I find is not quite so ill-behaved and that's the one that I like the most. And I also love chocolate mint, which is mm. just a variety of peppermint. So I use them both pretty interchangeably. And so those I, I've, you know, actually intentionally put them in some new areas. I'm like, I want more of you, right. um, the spearmint. I'm not really that big of a spearmint person and it's taken over. So I'm, I'm a little regretful about that. Decision. I'm in the same boat here. I, um, the house that we just purchased here in Asheville, there's I guess, I don't know if somebody planted it years ago or if it ended up being a wild variety or something, but there is spearmint everywhere. And I, I use peppermint more than I use spearmint. And so I'm the same way. I'm like, oh my gosh, this whole like side of my yard is just all spearmint. And no matter what I do, it's like, nope, I'm coming back all the time, every year, yeah. <laughs> no matter what yeah. you do. 
Apple mint's another one that I love apple mint where mine is in my yard is it's pretty well penned in by areas that get mowed, but apple mint's another one that gets pretty ill behaved. And medicinally, I'd say it's probably going to be closer to spearmint in its vibe than than peppermint, but I love it. We use it a lot in our infused waters and seltzers and cocktails and that kind of thing. But, uh, but it is, it's another one like spearmint that you really want to consider very carefully <laughs> where you're planting it because you may never, ever ever be able to remove it from it once it's <laughs> right once it's there You're and it'll they'll it. just choose they don't stay in this nice perfect bunch they just kind of start coming up as little stems throughout the whole garden mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so yeah so those are our mints um did i miss anything that we wanted to mention about any of those I don't think so. I mean, I think those are all really great. It's funny. I did name my business. I have to, you know, Sage in the name and I don't work with it. Um, I guess physically a whole lot, but it's more of an energetic herb that I work with, even just the culinary sage. Um, and, and I work with the smell actually, you know, the aromatics of it more than I do ingesting it. Um, I have worked with it with some of my clients who are going through menopause and hot flashes and that sort of thing. Um, but I do really appreciate the smell of, of sage. Culinary garden sage is, um, is really beautiful and nice to add. And the thing I really appreciate about a lot of these plants that you're mentioning too, is that they do so well in foods. So there's all these different ways that you can incorporate them. Um, and even with lemon balm, like putting a few fresh leaves in a salad or you know that sort of thing, like it's super accessible. So I really love that. And I know we want to talk about some of the Ayurvedic plants. And so there's kind of a segue in what I'm thinking now. I didn't know if you wanted to give a shout out to holy basil. Is that in your, your I was Ayurvedic just thinking, plants? I was like, oh, I forgot <laughs> to mention the holy basil. It's um, like this yeah. cross between because of, you know. Yes, definitely. I thank you for bringing that up because I was thinking of it as you were talking like, oh, darn, I forgot to mention. And I do love holy basil. So holy basil, Tulsi, you know, it comes from Ayurveda. It's also got a history of use throughout Africa and other areas of the world. And it's just a really amazing plant. It's really kind of like this group of various species and subspecies and varieties of, you know, a couple different basil, basil plants, but we tend to use them for stress and they're great for that. They're also a little bit relaxing while being energizing and uplifting, but they still have a lot of these same properties that we're talking about for those mint family plants. It is an acetylcholinesterase inhibitor. It is great for circulation. It's fantastic for blood sugar modulation, especially when stress and blood sugar issues are coinciding. There is, you know, there is a little bit of human research on it for cognitive benefits and it tastes really good. So it's a great thing to throw into a formula to enhance the flavor of it. So I often forget about it in the cognitive group, but it really is another great one to consider. And it's a little bit more of that like calm Zen like vibe of just being, you know, really relaxed while also being able to handle whatever is coming your way. So definitely a good one to throw into that mint family mix as well. If you're going to be growing it, it depends on your zone. If you're in a warmer climate, you might be able to grow it as a perennial. And it is classically grown in pots from what I understand in some of the Hindu temples, they often do grow their favorite holy basil species in 
pots and it's such an aromatic plant and i don't know um, i'm not an expert in ayurveda or in the hindu religion by any means uh, but i have noticed that a lot of the plants that have spiritual importance in a lot of different cultures throughout the world are very aromatic sometimes they're incense sometimes they're just aromatic and i kind of envision that for the holy basil that as you brush against it it releases this really potent clovey minty bubblegummy aroma and and that that is clearing that negativity from the space, bringing you know the that heavenly presence in, and then also bringing your prayers up to the heavens. And so that's my suspicion for one of the reasons why it is so revered. But I, I really don't know that for sure. But that's how I I often think of it. And I love infusing it in cold water and seltzer throughout the growing season. But if you're going to cultivate it in a colder climate like mine, I just treat it as an annual. So I get seedlings. You can grow it from seed. It does really like to be warm. This is a plant that wants to be in India. Um, it does not want to be growing in New Hampshire. <laughs> and so I and I'm not a, a grow things from seed person, because as you already learned, I don't baby my plants and seedlings need lots of care. So I just get seedlings from my local organic growers. But if you are going to grow it from seed, know that it likes really you know nice rich soil and it, it needs to be a little bit warmer so you might want to put it on like a heating mat or something like that and then when you go to put it outside you're going to want to wait until it's pretty warm out i mean like i could probably throw some seedlings out now of other plants but if i put holy basil out right now it's still we're still in mid-may it's just not it's still pretty chilly at night even if it's not freezing and it would be sitting there looking at me really crankily until it got to be really hot and you know later in june and and then when the rest of the garden is wilting and going, it's too hot here, the holy basil is like, bring it. Like, this is the ecosystem I like. I like it <laughs> to be really hot out. And they like to have a, a decent amount of moisture. You can grow in pots, but you, it is, I find that they grow better in the ground with mm -hmm. that, you know, more dynamic soil environment that you get in the ground. And it's harder for it to dry out too much. It wants good drainage, but it does like to be a little bit on the moisture side. And so it's a lot like the mints and lemon balm as far as the kind of garden environment that it likes. So if you do pots, you know, do bigger pots and take care of it in the same kind of way that I mentioned. You can sometimes overwinter it in in the colder environments, but I have not been particularly successful in that. I think it's a lot more finicky in mm -hmm. its overwintered environment. And so I usually just let, you know, I harvest them all before the first frost because they do die with frost. And then I start with new plants in the springtime. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's one. Tulsi is one that I have had some really good success with here. In fact, I started some from seed last year and I never saw I never saw them germinate. And then it wasn't until probably August that I was doing some weeding out of the gardens that were just getting crazy and taken over by morning glories and everything else. And I was like, oh, my gosh, there's three giant Tulsi plants here. I had no idea. They had just been sort of lost in the mix of the crazy, you know, mid garden season. But um, I was really pretty ecstatic to find that. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I have heard some folks too, the, the type that I tend to grow is the Kapoor or the temperate Tulsi, because that's the one that tends to grow better in the cooler environments where I've, I've grown some of the others like Krishna and the Rama and Vana, and they just kind of, they do okay, but they just sort of sit there throughout the season, whereas the Kapoor really puts out lots of bushiness. And that may actually have more of a um, African heritage than uh, Indian heritage, but it seems mm -hmm. to be used relatively similarly to how in our 
Kapoor data, they use holy basil. And so that's the one that I use and love is that Kapoor temperate one. And it, I just lost my train of thought <laughs> of what I was going to say about it. But, you know, it really is super duper productive. And some people, that's what I wanted to say is some people do find that it self seeds and mm -hmm. so that they have the new ones coming back, particularly that variety, even in the kind of more moderate environments. I have never seen it come back, but that might be my chickens. It might be that I'm just that little <laughs> bit colder, but I've had other folks in warmer zones in New Hampshire and definitely folks in places like Georgia saying that that one self seeds pretty readily. So I don't know if you found any self seeding in your garden, but there is a, there is a chance for that. Yeah, I think I did notice it at, at my old place a few years back. So we'll see, you know, I'll check this new garden this year and see if there's any that pop up from last year. That would be exciting, definitely. <laughs> Awesome. So some other plants that I love from Ayurveda, and I feel like a little bit of an interloper here because here I am like a, a white, a white herbalist of like European descent that doesn't really have training in um, Ayurveda at all. But I just, there's so many herbs from Ayurveda that I really love. Mm -hmm. And even though they're not going to survive the winters in my ecosystem, uh, they do quite nicely as a plant that I maybe overwinter inside, or I treat as an annual. And in the case of these brain tonics, they're really pretty easy to grow and they're just such amazing, helpful plants. So Gotu Kola and Bacopa are two plants that are both sometimes called Brahmi. And there's a lot that they have in common, but they are also a little bit different as well. And so as far as what they have in common, they both sometimes are called Brahmi. I don't like using that term just because it can be confusing about which plant you're talking about. So I usually refer to them as Bacopa or Gotu Kola. And uh, for the Bacopa, it's specifically the Bacopa Manieri that is being used medicinally. There are other Bacopa genus plants um, that might not be used quite so similarly. So I, that's a very specific species. And for Gotukola, that usually refers to the Centella asiatica. And, um, and so they both really like it, uh, a really damp, rich environment, and they like to not be too sunny. They might grow okay in the full sun, but they, they prefer it in those, those dappled environments. And they both kind of creep along in soggy, rich soils or even swampy soils. And and that's where they're going to be the happiest. So for me personally, I keep those in glazed pots and I've had the same or plastic pots and I, they, I've had the same ones going for several years now. And I keep them in this kind of nice little pocket of my garden close to my house, right near the beginning of the drip irrigation line where the hose drips a little bit. So it's always pretty moist. There's a like a hanging plant above them that drips even more water on them when that gets watered. And uh, and they really like that. They do really well. And it's on the, for me, it's like the side of the house that's facing the West. So it spends a good part of the earlier part of the day. It's not until about one or two o'clock that the sun really starts to hit them, but they love it when it's hot and they love it when it's rich and, and damp. And that's where they're going to thrive the best. So if you do have a spot in the ground where that ecosystem can be achieved, I, I do not. But if you do have that ecosystem in the ground, you can just plant it in the ground. It'll just continue creeping along. So the, everywhere they, the leaf nodes hit the soil or hit water, they can sprout roots and then they keep going. But if you have them in a pot, they'll start to eventually overgrow the part and hang down kind of like a vine, but they're not really vines. They're more like strawberry plants where they just kind of keep sending out these shoots and then they have the opportunity to root if they give a chance to land. 
So they're easy to share with other people, especially GoTo Cola is really easy to grow from division or cuttings. Bacopa doesn't root quite as easily, but uh, but can also sometimes be shared by division or root cuttings as well. And so I got I get my GoTo Cola initially from a local grower, very hard to grow from seed. And the Bacopa, nobody around me sold. So I ended up getting mine through the mail. And I can't remember if it was strictly medicinal seeds or companion plants, but this is the time of year that I would usually do, you know, just those handful of plants that I can't find a local herb grower that grows it is, you know, when it's May and it's just before my planting season and it's not too hot and not too cold across the country because these are places that are very far away from me. And I usually just use, um, I'll just do priority mail so it's not quite so expensive, but that means it's spending at least three days in transit. And so I like to look ahead to the weather across the country to make sure that it's not going to cook or freeze. And I've been pretty fortunate with a handful of plants that I've gotten that way, that they've all arrived in great shape and still, you know, are growing throughout the property in different places, including the Bacopa. And medicinally, these also have pretty similar vibes to them as far as brain health goes. So they're calming but they also promote alertness and they have this really deep restorative, protective, um, tonic environment for the nervous tissue. Um, GoToCola also has a little additional circulatory support, but they're really nice for protecting the brain from damage, helping it to repair from damage, uh, and then just helping so that it functions better, so that the, all those nerves and neurotransmitters work better. Particularly nice for memory, and Gotu Cola has a couple additional benefits in that it's also a nice gentle adaptogen and it has those circulatory benefits and it also has some wound healing vulnerary properties as well that I wouldn't say are quite so specific for Bacopa. And Bacopa is a very bitter plant and very astringent. So it's a little less amenable to like using it in food. You certainly could, but it's kind of like chewing on tea leaves as far as the flavor, like green tea, black tea leaves, which is okay, but not amazing. So usually I might just use a little bit if it's something that I'm gonna be eating. Whereas the go-to cola is like an okay tasting leafy green and you can make smoothies with it. And in fact, we have um, friends from Vietnam and one of the friends will grow it in flats and then just kind of shave a bunch of like a strip of it off at a time and then makes kind of like a cross between a smoothie and a tea where he'll blend it up in the blender with sugar and some aromatic herbs from his country and make this nice extract basically and then you can strain out the leaves or you can just he just has it more like a smoothie but some people will strain out the leaf bits and then drink it and that's a pretty classic pick-me-up in a lot of southeast asian cultures um, gochu cola is not only coming from india and ayurveda but it also is really classically used in a lot of southeast asian communities I, we've met folks from sri lanka who get really excited when i start talking about or they see that i have go to cola because that's a, a major food plant that they often will grow and use as a tonic restorative plant as well so it's been really cool to learn about it not just in books and studies but also to come across folks um which you know i'm in new hampshire we're in like the whitest one of the whitest states of the nation so it's not that often that we get to in interact with folks from other cultures but when i do um, that's one of the plants that people seem to get most excited about that the fact that I know about it and that I grow it, which is it's cool to learn about it even more from their cultures. So, you know, oftentimes they'll throw it in a saute with onions and garlic and just use it as a green. I know KP Kalsa recommends making sag with 
goju cola and kind of reconstituting the dried goju cola and then adding spinach to it and making more of an Indian sag recipe, which I have not tried that. But I mostly just tincture it. It's not, you know, it's one that really is best with high doses. You'll get a more therapeutic benefit with those high doses, like making those juices or smoothies or something like that. But I don't get enough of it here to be able to make that large of a quantity on a regular basis. So I give it a little bit of a boost from those mint family plants and I'll often use it in tincture. Sometimes you'll find it in uh, capsule formulas as well. And Bacopa, you, can, you don't need quite such a big dose, but they're both pretty subtle plants that take a long time for their benefits to really reveal themselves. So it's nice to combine them with some of those faster acting plants so that you give those, you know, these Brahmi brain tonics a chance to build up while you get some more immediate benefits from some faster acting herbs. Mm. And so would you say in that case um, that these, that the gotu cola and the bacopa, you would see more benefit with sort of a more long-term consistent use? Yes. And all these herbs I would consider using long-term consistently, but for Bacopa and Gotu Cola, I feel like it's even more important. You know, maybe if you were taking a super high dose, you would notice uh, some immediate pick-me-up like the traditional, you know, pennywort juices of Southeast Asia, which pennywort is another term for Gotu Cola. And, you know, they often are using it as a quick pick-me-up, but usually it's a much higher dose in that kind of an extract. But really they're better with that long-term regular use versus that immediate you know, response. So I make, when I have classes here in person, I have a variety of different brain tonic herbs available for students to dose themselves with. And I don't really include that much of the go-to cola and the bacopa because in that like quick hit, that's probably, you know, I might use something like rhodiola or some other, you know, shazander or some other herb that is energizing, but much more fast acting or, and as well as those mint family plants that we talked about. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Thank you for that. And so I'm wondering too, um, would you consider these herbs to be preventative as well? Or is it more just sort of like if there's um, an acute situation? Well, you're saying these are long term, um, but would you consider them preventative? Like if people have a family history of certain, uh, you know, of Alzheimer's or dementia or some of the things that we've discussed, would you say that these could potentially be helpful in, in a preventative situation? Yes, I think that they're great considerations as a preventative. Um, I, again, nothing is ever really a guarantee, but that is where they probably really shine or as that long-term tonic when you do have a little something going on. And with herbs, generally the earlier you start using them, the better. And while they may still be helpful in a more acute situation, they're probably going to be more helpful if things are just starting or if you're using them preventatively. And both Goju Cola and Bacopa do have a potential for being helpful, not only for, you know, older folks who are thinking of cognitive issues in that way, but also for school age folks who are dealing with attention and focus. There's quite a bit of research, especially with Bacopa on school age children and a little bit, I believe, with the Goju Cola as well. And I sometimes see contradictory information over whether say go to cola is safe for children. But my understanding is that it's a food that is commonly fed to kids as they're going back to school in India and that it does have a tradition of use there. And I could be wrong. So if anybody knows that I'm wrong, please let me know because I, mm -hmm. I don't did not grow up in that culture. But it, it is an, these are herbs that really have a pretty vast way of benefiting people. And so you can just incorporate them if you're just looking for something to take 
on a daily basis as a tonic. These are herbs that are great for that. And I particularly love goju cola because it's a more mild flavor and you can throw it more easily into teas and energy nut butter balls and broths and things like that. Whereas you could do all those things with bacopa, but then it might be, you might not want to eat it. It's <laughs> not taste, quite as appetizing. Might not taste very good. Yeah. Oh, um, I, I love that idea. You know, I've only, um, I've gratefully had access to fresh goju cola from the same person that I get my fresh kava root from out in Hawaii. And so I've been able to tincture larger amounts of the plant in that way, um, because I haven't, I don't think I've grown goju cola before, but I've been around people and um, they've suggested just to eat a leaf of goju cola, sort of as you're passing by, you pick a leaf and kind of chew on that, which obviously is a pretty small dose. Um, but I'm excited to incorporate it more into cooking and different applications because that's not something I've really tried very much uh, to this point. So thank you for those ideas. And, and I love, um, the, the cultural drink that you mentioned, um, you said Southeast is Southeast Asia. Yeah, this was, um, Vietnam that one okay. of our friends is from there, but grows in the Boston area grows, you know, flats of goju cola throughout the growing season, and then just takes a strip off at a time and it grows, you can give it a pretty hefty haircut and then it comes right back again. It's actually does better when you give it pretty regular hair, regular haircuts, and then use that as your, as your recipe for your smoothie. So. Oh, that sounds great. I'm going to have to, to learn more about that and give that a try sometime. And I will add that, and I can't really speak to this for sure, but I know that listening to David Winston talk about goju cola, and he often will get it from Hawaii. He feels like that's where some of the best quality goju cola comes from. And he commented that it really does better, and at least from the adaptogenic point of view and the centellicides, I believe they're called, some of the steroidal saponins that are in there, that those are more potent if it's being grown in a hot environment. So mm -hmm. he was questioning in one of the lectures I heard how potent, you know, goju cola grown in Vermont or New Hampshire or North Carolina would be. And I don't have an answer for that, but I, I have a hard time as just like a small, you know, small scale person having access to really good quality go-to cola in the market. It's, it's definitely one where there's a lot of really cruddy quality, not, I'm sure you got some really great ones mm -hmm. from the, the person that, you know, but from, just from our regular suppliers, it's kind of on the dustier side. And so I appreciate that I can, it's a plant that I can connect with fresh, even if, you know, getting it fresh shipped to me from Hawaii might actually be more potent. That's not as accessible to me. And it's even less accessible to, you know, the regular, you know, non-herbalist folks that might be looking for a little of it, whereas it's not that hard to grow it. And I even had a little clipping of it that when I was traveling for my second book tour, I went to the American Botanical Council and Jenny there, Jenny Perez was like, here, I have this goju cola from my plant. And I was like, oh, I have goju cola, but thank you. And, uh, and that survived the next like two or three weeks of road trip in oh, wow. uh, cooler of varying degrees of coolness in a little Ziploc baggie of water. And then it, it was sprouted by the time I got home, it had roots. And uh, and I ended up giving it to some students for them to plant and use. And as far as I know, it's still living. So it's, it's a pretty easy wow. plant to, to do as a cutting. I'm considering in like the next series remedy kits, if I have enough to like send little Ziploc baggies of cuttings to students to grow, but we'll see. We'll see whether or not I have enough to do that. Yeah, that's amazing. 
amazing. Um, I, and now I feel like I need to do a, an experiment with go to cola and get some of the fresh ordered from Hawaii and maybe grow some of my own this year too, and, and do another kind of con compare and contrast situation and test out that, that David Winston has been talking about. Very interesting. Well, Maria, thank you so much. I know that we could probably go for hours talking about brain boosting herbs and all the different, you know, when it comes to herbs, there's so much that can be said about just one plant. So it's really a challenge sometimes to be succinct and concise because they're really multi-talented, multi-faceted. Multi there's so many different properties that each plant brings to the table. So um, I really appreciate all that you've shared with us so far today. And I'd love to just maybe, um, we mentioned your books, but I'd love if people could have a way to uh, reach out to you or just find out more about your work if there are places that you would like to share. Yeah, definitely. So there's so much information on my website. Of course, you can order books through me and get signed copies, which is one of the best ways to support me is to get the, the books through me, but you can also find them through regular booksellers as well. And, uh, and that's on my website. My classes are on my website. I'm not currently taking new clients. So while there's information there, I'm doing less of that just because I'm too busy. And I have lots of just free information on my website. So you can check out the learn more tab and then you can get blog articles and videos and podcasts. I'll link to this podcast once it airs. And, uh, and so there's lots of information just on my website. Also on my website or through social media, you can sign up for my mailing list. And I send out about one email a month, maybe a little less than that. And that will give you links to articles and the latest podcasts and other information in addition to whatever I'm up to at that time period. But there's a lot of useful information for folks. It's not just advertising in those emails. And then I am on social media. I'd say I'm most active on Instagram at Maria Noel Groves. And then I'm active on Facebook under the, you know, at Wintergreen Botanicals page. And so those two places, most often I'm posting to both, both of those places simultaneously. And I am most active in those arenas. So you can check out, you know, what's growing or little plant ID quizzes or links to articles and things like that. It's harder to link to things on Instagram. So I'm a little bit more apt to share extra things on Facebook, but I, I, I am enjoying Instagram. So those are the easiest ways to get in touch with me. I do have a variety of upcoming classes and series and things in the work. So you can check that out on my website. One that I really want to mention that I'm super excited about is the Secret Lives of Medicinal Herbs, and that is coming up very soon after this airs. And it's a fundraiser class. And I've been having fun this year starting to play around with fundraiser classes as a way to support different projects that I really appreciate in the community. And so this particular one, all of the registration is going to support BIPOC scholarships and other out-of-pocket expenses for folks in the Seed Soil and Spirit program. And it's taught by Shabina LaFleur Ganji, I believe is how you pronounce her name, and Stephanie Morningstar. And I'm really grateful to be doing that fundraiser because I think, you know, while it's important as herbalists to be reaching out to a more diverse student group and making our classes more accessible, I also think we really need to support the educational programs that are being led by um, BIPOC, which is Black, Indigenous, People of Color, if anybody didn't know that. They're actually being led by BIPOC teachers, and I just think that there's even more. I, I love to have more of a diversity of students in my own classes, but I think there's 
even more that can be offered by folks who are coming from that perspective. And I actually wish that I could take some of these classes that I had time to take some because I know I would learn so many really new, new cool things and perspectives. But the need for herbal program access has been huge. Talking from uh, talking with Shabina, I know that this was like a record year for registrations and that, you know, the, the that's true for herb schools across the board this past year. There's just been a lot of interest in herb schools, but, you know, especially in the BIPOC community, there's been a record year for registrations and most of those folks are hoping to get some level of a scholarship to allow them to be able to take those courses. And so that money needs to come from somewhere. And I really appreciate the opportunity um, as a more privileged, you know, white teacher to be able to raise money for that. So hopefully um, folks will want to register for the class. They'll get a great class from me along with a lot of extra little, you know, remedy making videos and bonus goodies. And then all that money will go to support the, the scholarship program for their, for what they're doing there. Beautiful. Thank you so much, Maria. Um, yeah. You know, I think that overall there is such an interest in herbalism right now. And like you said, especially within the last year and, and such a drive to make it more accessible to all populations. And so I just really appreciate that work that you're doing and for putting it out there and uh, supporting this program and the fundraising class. So hopefully we'll, you'll get some, some people interested in that. Very exciting. And so one last question for you today. Oh, I did want to actually backtrack your, um, I'm going to link your website in the show notes, but for people who don't actually check out the show notes, if they're just listening and maybe driving in their cars, um, could you just say the name of your website? Is it wintergreenbotanicals.com? Yes. Thank you. I forgot to mention that. So, and I'm very Googleable too. If you just search Maria Herbalist New Hampshire, you'll find me, but, <laughs> but wintergreenbotanicals.com is my website. Perfect. Thank you. And so one last question before we wrap it up today, and that is what is nourishing you right now on any level? Could be herbs. Oh. It could be something totally different. <laughs> There are so many things. I actually use herbs, so many herbs every single day, but I'd say one of the things that I've been most excited about lately is this um, seed bark recipe. I posted it on my Instagram and Facebook that, but it's from Kathy from Herbal Revolution. She just came out with this really awesome recipe cookbook called Herbal Revolution. And she's got a product line that she does out in Maine. So we are fellow New Englanders and her recipes are awesome. She comes from a really similar perspective of herbs. And as soon as I opened up to this recipe, it was like seeds and she also has nuts in there and then it's like a molasses and maple syrup base and then there's powdered nettle and she also adds kelp but I skipped the kelp and uh, and as soon as I opened up I was like oh my gosh I need to make that and so I finally made it and it's so yummy and just feels really good as a healthier snack and so it's got powdered nettle in it in addition to all these other yummy things and that uh, kind of like she likens it to cracker jacks and it really does have a little bit of a cracker jack like flavor to it and I'm also in my brain thinking about like what other herbs could I powder and put in there like I could maybe do maca or I could maybe do go to cola or you know just some other really fun things but it's really quite nice with just the the nettle in there too Oh, that sounds amazing. I'm going to, I'm definitely going to have to look that up now. And I actually just recently saw the new book release um, from Herbal Revolution. So uh, I think I actually saw it at Corey Pine's school and he let me flip through it. So I need to get my own copy and, and peruse some of those recipes and give them a try myself. Awesome. Yeah. Enjoy. It's a great book. 
Thank you. Yeah, I'm excited to. Well, Maria, thank you so much again for being here today. It's such an honor to have this time to chat with you and to learn with you about all of these amazing brain boosting herbs. And I really appreciate too um, just your presentation of accessibility and being able to grow these herbs yourself. And you don't have to have, you know, a giant garden, you know, you can just have a sunny windowsill or a pot for many of these. And so I think that that really speaks to the accessibility of these plants and, and being able to incorporate them. So I really appreciate that. And I hope that we get to cross paths again soon in person sometime. Yes, definitely. I miss seeing you in person. And thank you so much for this podcast. You're doing great work. Thank you, Maria. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Sage and Spirit. You can download more episodes and subscribe to this podcast on your favorite podcast platform, such as Apple or Google Podcasts. For more show notes and guest information, visit dancingsagewellness.com. Until next time, take care and be well.